0: Welcome, everybody, to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast presented by the California State Railroad Museum. This will be the second episode. Uh, today, we'll be broadcasting the story of George Palmer, a docent here at the California State Railroad Museum. All right, so I'm sitting here with George Palmer. How are you doing today, George? I'm doing wonderful, thank you. Great. Well, first question today is how long have you been a docent and how many hours have you logged thus far?
1: I've been a docent for 18 years and I don't remember the hours. I got it the other day, but I don't remember.
0: What do you think the biggest change has been in those 18 years?
1: The biggest change, they started the diversity program here thanks to some of the women supervisors and it is uh, doing quite well. And not only that, you have people now to ask more questions about uh, different aspects of the museum and about the contributions others have made. And I think it's wonderful to be able to answer those questions and that we learn them. But also, I had never hiked the Sierra Nevada mountains until I became a volunteer here, and they took us up there on several training trips. But as of now, I go hiking with Richard Doak, who's also a docent. Richard is quite an expert in the Sierras. In the last uh, 18 years, I think I've hiked it eight or nine times. And I like, in fact, I'm going back up there next week. I'm going to take my granddaughter to the old Summit Tunnel of 1867 next week.
0: One of our biggest focuses in this podcast, George, is about how Uh, We're all made up of railroad connections and stories about the railroad. What are yours?
1: My connection is uh, history. I like, excuse me, I like history. And I first heard about this program when I was uh, taking a trip on Amtrak from San Francisco to Reno. I first heard about this program and I found it to be fascinating. And when we moved from the Bay Area here, I came and applied.
0: When you were growing up, did you know anybody who worked for the railroad?
1: Back in the 40s, my father was a railroad employee, a maintenance repairman.
0: Did your father focus on maintaining the tracks or the trains?
1: They went to check on the tracks to make sure with these hand cars and did the repairs that needed to be repaired along the way. He only did it for about five or six years, then we became permanent farmers. Really?
0: Yes. How did he like farming compared to working on the trains?
1: Yes, he loved, either way, he loved either one of them. And then after living on the farm for so long, my mother decided urban life would be better and more education for the children.
0: And I'm grateful. Were you alive when you worked on the railroad or did that all happen before you were born?
1: No, it was, I I think I was about five or six years old then, okay. but, but yeah, six or seven at the time. I still
0: remember it very little of it, but. If your father wasn't the main reason you got interested in the railroad, uh, was it the history, I know you're a big history guy, is that kind of um, how you got interested in railroads specifically?
1: That's my main subject, history. I love history, buff. I love history.
0: So, or why you became a tour guide specifically? Because that's more dependent on the history side of it and you could lead a, a group through and, and talk all about the different types of history of the railroad and all that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. So I can increase my knowledge on history and this museum has. I've learned a lot more here, especially in, <coughs> excuse me, in meeting visitors. They listen and initially learn, someone will ask you questions to see if you know the answer. I had been here for about a year when I got trapped by two women. And since then, I learned to say, no, I don't know how to look it
0: up. So there's obviously a wide variety of ways in which to learn about history um, other than becoming a docent. You know, you could read a book, watch a documentary, that kind of thing. Um, so what specifically led you to want to volunteer your time to do this kind of thing rather than just uh, learning about history and other avenues?
1: Well, because this way, you read a book, but you don't have anybody to try it out on. Mm -hmm. And people ask questions about it. And there were so many other things that I have learned here that you don't readily find in books. Well, it's there, but you have to go and research it that I didn't know about. And so now I will go and research it to make sure I give accurate information. And I've had... In my 15 years of being a tour guide, I've only had two folks to walk away from the tour, but both of them came back later on because they found the information. I always said, don't believe me, here where you can go and find it. Well,
0: wow, that's pretty impressive because anytime someone's leading a, guide, a guided tour, it's uh, quite common for so people just kind of wander away every once in a while, and maybe you, you lose a straggler, gain a straggler here or there. Uh, so it's pretty impressive if you don't ever watch, too. That's, that's definitely awesome.
1: hmm They question some of the information. Because it's, uh, you know, when I finished my tours, because there was so many, there was a couple of presidents involved in the scandal in building this railroad. The 20th president has comparison to the 44th. And I always ask folks, what's the comparison? For sure. And most people, some guys have said, no, this is wrong. And then I point out to them as to the dates and time. I guess, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to give dates and time, and as I say, sir, a man, you don't believe me. Here, where you can go look it up. No okay. heart, feel, feel.
0: Other than guiding tours, and maybe this is um, yeah, more about what what you did prior to becoming a tour guide. Uh, what was your favorite station to work at, and why?
1: Um. My favorite was the RPO and the St. High, because the St. High, a lot of people don't know the history of the Pullman Portis and how it came to be and the contributions they made to the
0: railroad. Oh, very cool. And what did you like about the RPO?
1: Yeah, uh, where the train, Uh, Delivered and picked up mail in small town America from 1864 to 1977 and never stopped.
0: My favorite part of talking about that train is just the surprise people get when they find out that uh, they used to have to grab the mail bags while the train was moving. Yeah,
1: and that was part when we lived in the country, in the small town. That's how we used to get our mail.
0: Oh wow, that's how you got your mail? That's super cool.
1: And see, I never knew how that got started and everything, but I never forgot it. But when I came here, then it all came back to me. I know why it started. It started in uh, 1864 during the Civil War. You know, I was only eight or nine years old, and I never knew. But the one thing that I did know is that when my... Parents used to order our clothes every year from Sears and Roebuck. They came in these big boxes. They would stop in the major town, and then a truck, mail truck, would bring it from the major town to the small town that we lived in because that couldn't be uh, thrown off.
0: Oh, that's an interesting thing I never thought of. So the bigger packages had to be delivered to the main station since they couldn't be thrown off like the, the normal mail could be. So then they had.
1: Yeah, bigger delivered to the main station, and the truck brought them to the uh, main post, the small compost office, and we went and picked them up. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's a fascinating system. Yeah. My, <clears throat> I always wondered who came up with this system. That's what I like looking at who came okay. up with this idea, which I think is, is brilliant.
0: Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, if you have rail lines, you might as well use them for mail cars, especially in a developing country that's trying to connect itself to uh, uh, the various states within its borders.
1: But also, Congress in 1938 indicated that all rail routes had to be post route. 1838, they put that in the law.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So before they even had the cars that could operate the mail lines, they were already thinking about it ahead of time.
1: Mm-hmm, and the railroad had been, what, in this country about, what, 10 years or 8 yeah. years before then? Which I thought was a
0: brilliant idea.
1: Yeah.
0: It was definitely very visionary, you know. They knew the invention wasn't there yet, but they could see it coming, so they just planned as if it was already there in, uh, in anticipation for it. Going back to the beginning a little bit, you talked a lot about growing up in a rural uh, community. Do you think the railroad is more important there than it is in, uh, in bigger cities? Yeah, because it's the communication and things,
1: living out. You live out in uh, rural America. You don't know what's going on outside. You know what's going on with the folks and so forth. And newspapers, if it didn't come in that way, there was no big deal for printing newspapers. You had a radio. You listen to things on the radio, but you were just country people.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You just kind of rely on the technology you have to to get your information and and connect yourself with with the outside world.
1: Yeah, but mostly we always relied on the railroad because a lot of my great-grandparents back in the... a lot
0: of didn't know how to read or write. Thank you everyone for listening to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast presented by the California State Railroad Museum. If you'd like to share a story on this platform, please contact Jason Rankins. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.